Mark chapter 5 in your Bibles, continuing in the Missio Christi series, we've been talking about what it means to be sent as Jesus was sent. Jesus says in John 17 and in John 20, as the Father sent me, I now send you. So we've been studying that now. This week will be our 19th lesson on that concept. This is Renew Part 4, Sent is the title. Mark chapter 5, this will be our fourth week in that text. We're not going to read the whole text. It's familiar ground for us. We're just going to read the last few verses, cover some concepts there, pick a couple of them up next week as well. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 14. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to entreat Jesus to depart from the region. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. But Jesus didn't let him. He said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in all Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Lord, we thank you for this historical account. We thank you for a community that was transformed from wanting you to leave to marveling at the story of what you had done for this man. And Jesus, we are this man. We are those who have been touched by you, delivered by you, restored, redeemed, made brand new. And we ask that we, like this man, like this man, would go forward into our communities, our sphere of influence, and report what great things you have done for us and how you had mercy on us. And Lord, this morning, if any of us that are Christians are here and our hearts aren't overwhelmed with the mercy that you've shown to us, if our hearts aren't enamored with the gospel, then Holy Spirit, we need you to breathe life into us. We need you to set our hearts on fire once again with the truth that we were lost and separated from God and going to hell. But Jesus, you came and pursued after us and saved us and we have new life and we're going to heaven. Lord, restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. We ask that we would proclaim and demonstrate your ongoing process of renewal in the world for your glory as it's happening in our lives. Help us to do this, Lord. Speak to us about these things today. Holy Spirit, breathe life into your people. We also ask the Holy Spirit, you would anoint me to teach and preach that I would be faithful now. and That the words that come from this mouth would be from your throne and they'd be powerful for the transformation of men and women and the glory of God in our cities. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well... I want to change approach a little bit this week with our text. We've been talking about the demonized man and how Jesus dealt with those demons and how we, in light of how Jesus dealt with those demons, ought to deal with demons. 
And that's important because mission will always encounter opposition. And to the degree that you endeavor to live your life, your life on mission, you will encounter demonic opposition. So it's important that we know how to deal with demons. Talked about that the last couple of weeks. But now I want us to see this man more profoundly as a picture of us. Realizing that this man's story records for us in vivid detail what is true of all of us by nature apart from Jesus. And that's we are slaves to evil. We're not free people apart from Jesus. We want to be, we would pretend to be, but we're bound apart from Christ. And that we are bent ultimately on our own self-destruction without Jesus. And that neither we ourselves nor others are capable of breaking the powers which have bound us as humanity. Christ alone can break the power of sin and evil in the world and in our lives and set us free. And to do this, Christ pursues us. He got in the boat and went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to pursue this man that he might renew this man. And in the same way, God in Christ has crossed the divide between heaven and earth. Come in the flesh to pursue us and renew us through his cross and his resurrection. And so as a result of Christ's pursuing of this man and Christ's ministry to this man, this man has been renewed. He's been made brand new. Now to use that analogously, we've got to keep in mind that this is a pre-cross experience. This man's renewal. Jesus still deals with demons by his authority and his name, and we deal with them the same way, and we see people delivered from demons like that. But for people to truly be renewed, that happens post-cross now through faith and repentance. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross and repentance in light of who God is and the gift of his son. So the pre-cross experience of this man's renewal, though analogous, is a little different because now to be renewed, we must have faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross and we must repent of our sins and come to him as Savior. We realize that. But this man is still a picture for us in whom everything had gone wrong. And then he had an experience with Jesus and everything was made right. I want to press the picture of ourselves in the man a little further now. I want to ask the question, having been made new, what next? What happens between renewal and glory when we're born again and we see Jesus face to face? Very simply, what happens is we have been sent by Jesus into the world to testify of who Jesus is. That's exactly what happened with this man. He was sent to his people to report to them what great things God had done for him and how the Lord had had mercy on him. And what this causes us to think is this, that Christianity is primarily a go and tell thing. It's a go and tell religion. It is not predominantly a come and see religion. It's not that we just get together and we say, you want to check it out? Come and see us. But the nature of it, based on the nature of God as love, who reaches out of himself in love to others, is that Christianity is a go and tell 
religion. And you are the very best person on earth to go and tell your people about Jesus. You are the best person to report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Christianity is going and telling you're the best person for that. Now, living life on mission, going and telling will look different from time to time. Sometimes you'll be proclaiming and explaining the gospel. Other times you'll be confronting error and defending truth. Sometimes you'll do good and say nothing. Other times you'll do good and say something. Sometimes you're called to simply report the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this latter action is akin to the first action of the church. When the church was birthed, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, they began to speak in other tongues and what they were declaring were the wonderful things God had done. This action of telling about what God has done is pictured in the very birth of the church. And by a miracle, the people who had come from far away that day heard in their own language about the wonderful things God had done. But significantly, Peter then turned to his own people and began to explain to them the truth about Jesus. And it's always this way. It always starts, as it started with this demoniac, with our own people. Jesus went to the lost house of Israel. Not only to the lost house of Israel, the gospel's for the whole world, and he would interact with Gentiles. This demoniac was one of them. But he went first to the Jews as a Jew. And then the disciples, who were all Jews, were told to start mission in Jerusalem amongst people who were like them. And after that, to spread out to Samaria amongst people who were a little bit different from them, but not too much. And then to go to the uttermost parts of the world, very different people all over the world. But it always starts in Jerusalem with your people. And you are the best person to reach your people. You don't have to do any homework. You see, because you're one of them, you understand them. Because you're in that culture and a product of that culture, you get that culture. You see the cultural analogies, the things that point toward common grace and the things that picture God and the things that are antithetical to that. Because you're in the culture, you see and you realize the idols of the culture, the lesser things that our culture pursues as ultimate things. You already get that. You see that. You're in. They're your people. Because they're your people, you understand their questions. What are they asking about God, eternity? What are they asking about people, humanity? Because you're among them, you know those questions. And because they're your people, you understand their problems. You understand the issues that are facing them. The difficulties of the day. Because they're your people, you, you get their pain. You experience that pain with them. You identify with that pain. You walk through the pain with them. They're, they're your people. 
And because they're your people, you, more than anyone else in the world, love them. They're your people. He said, go home to those closest to you. Those are your people. You understand them. You feel for them. You hear them and you love them. You are the best person to reach them. The very best person. It's obvious, so obvious in fact that we miss the profundity of it, that when Jesus wanted to reach Israel, he came as a Jew. Just a no-brainer. He went to Israel, and so he came as a Jew, identifying with their culture, their religion, their issues, their understandings. Jesus was intentional to become a Jew. God's not Jewish. You understand that? Christ became a Jew to reach the Jews. The intentionality of God to reach people in the same way now. We need intentionality. We need to see ourselves as strategically placed by God wherever we are. Strategically sent by God wherever you are right now. Rid yourself of that incorrect forward-thinking American thing that always says, well, once I attain this goal, then I'll do that. Once I've got the right spouse, then I'll start to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Once I got the right house, then I'll serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Once I got the right SUV, once I'm at the right place, once I'm done with my schooling, now is the time to realize that you are a strategic expression of God. You say, oh, but I, I, the, the path that I took here was so messy. This can't be where God has me. Hey, God is bigger than your mess, bro. He's bigger than your mess. Either God is big and sovereign or he's not. No matter how messy you've been, God has a strategy to use you as you are where you are. You are the best person to reach your people. This guy was so unlikely, but he is the very first person in Scripture to be sent by Jesus. Now, we ought to see something beautiful in that because this is not who we would have sent. This guy was nuts all. Cutting himself in the graves, breaking chains, screaming out, naked. This is not who we would have sent. He's a Gentile, not a Jew. This is the first person Jesus ever sends to tell others about him. the least likely guy. You know, we who are religious would say, mm, shouldn't we do some training or something first with him? <laughs> I mean, he was just naked and nutso. Shouldn't we like maybe YWAM, DTS, some equipping, some school of theology, school of ministry, shouldn't we like do something? I mean, yeah, I kind of think so, but Jesus didn't. He was renewed and sent, both actions by Christ. What Jesus asked him to do wasn't that complicated. He didn't need a lot of training. Go home and report to your people the great things the Lord has done for you. And tell them, just tell them. 
how God had mercy on you. When we've been renewed by Jesus, we are the best ones to witness to our people because they are the best witnesses of our renewal. They know us. They saw us in the BC days. Remember the BC days? They saw us in the BC days. They see us now. They've witnessed the transformation. When we've been renewed, touched, changed by Jesus, we're the best people to go to our people because they're the best witnesses of that transformation. And transformation can be neither denied or ignored. And transformation is what we want to model. Because when we model a transformed life, and by the way, just just let me say, that if your life has not been changed and isn't in a process of change, then you're not in Christ. Jesus changes life and lives. If if you imagine that at some point you came to Jesus and nothing changed for you, no. I'm sorry, I'm not going to pat you on the rear end and send you to hell with a smile on your face. I'm not going to let you have easy believism. Jesus is a sovereign king of the universe who changes life and lives. And if you think that you've come to him and nothing has changed, you don't know him. Be warned by that this morning. Don't be fooled. Some of you need to truly come to Jesus. Be transformed and renewed by his saving grace. And then that renewal, that transformed life is what we want to model. Can't be denied, can't be ignored. And what it is then is it's a witness of his power and his goodness rather than of us. See, we're in a culture that likes to testify of itself. Egocentric culture. We like to be the center of witness and attention. But the transformed life witnesses of and gives attention to Jesus because it's a work that only he can do. It's not of us. It's not ours. But we all know that transformation can be difficult to display especially among those nearest to us. For the same reason that it's powerful is the same reason it's hard because they know us so well. We know that transformation can be difficult to display because we are all in process, right? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Every one of us is in process. If you're a Christian, you're probably not where you want to be, but thank you, Lord, you're not where you were. We're in process, and we know when we realize that we're not perfect. But it is precisely that process of the transforming work of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that needs to be displayed and communicated. It's exactly that process of the power of the gospel and the spirit that needs to be communicated and displayed. The world doesn't know of such a thing because people come to realize that they can't change themselves ultimately. And you're coming to realize you can't change other people. Some of you ladies are so frustrated by that. You've been married for nine years and you're still trying to change your man. 20 years and you can't change him. 
Only Jesus changes people. And so that process of transformation, that process of God renewing all things is to be put on display and communicated. Problem. The problem is that instead of communicating Holy Spirit transformation, what we as a church in America most often communicate is that Christianity is primarily a religion of rules and regulations. That is the number one way that we've presented it to culture. Christianity is a religion of rules and regulations. Rules and regulations that if you're going to be a Christian, you need to work very hard to keep. That's how we've presented it. Those are the facts. Now, here's why that's a major problem. Because it sets us up for failure then in witness, in evangelization. Because as we all know, when it comes to keeping the rules, we're just not that good at it. We're just not that good at keeping the rules. A study from 2007 showed that born-again believers are just as likely as non-Christians to view pornography, steal from others, physically fight and or abuse someone, tell a lie, seek revenge, talk trash, get drunk, use drugs, and consult a medium or a psychic. These are facts. Born-again Americans are just as likely as not born-agains to do those things. The ray of light in the study is that we were shown slightly less likely to cuss in public and buy lottery tickets. So the non-Christian looks at the Christian world and says, wow, that Christian is taking drugs, looking at porn, and beating people up. But they did all of it without cussing or winning the lottery. <laughs> oh, I want to be a Christian. That... Our lack of holiness and sanctification has got us into trouble. Obviously, among other things, because it is a poor representation of God. It's a poor representation of God. But also, because we have presented our faith as being about keeping the rules, which is also a poor representation of God, then when they call us hypocrites, they're only measuring us by our own standard. We've said to them, hey, it's about these rules. Better keep the rules. And so when we don't, they say, hypocrite. By our own definition that we've put forward, we say it's about keeping the rules, and then we don't. It's not about keeping the rules. 
I'm not saying that there aren't rules. There are rules. I'm not saying that the rules aren't important. They're very important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do better at keeping them. We should. But that's not the primary definition of Christianity. The gospel is not, you better keep these rules. The gospel is, wow, you really didn't keep the rules. You really blew it. You've really performed poorly. But because of Christ and his cross, you are loved and accepted by God. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship that transforms and renews. Rules don't change anybody or anything. Relationship with the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit renews and transforms. Additionally, when we communicate that Christianity is about performance and our efforts to keep the rules as opposed to Christ's work on the cross and the Spirit's power of transformation, we create for ourselves, listen, we create for ourselves the temptation to be fakers. The temptation to act like we have it all together. We've put out this message about the rules. We know we're not keeping the rules, so the temptation is act like you are. Put on a facade. Pretend like you got it together and you're doing better than you are. The gospel is that we don't have it all together, but Jesus does. We performed horribly, but he performed perfectly died in our place on the cross for our sins that we might have new life. Not that we might be made into good people, but new people. That's the gospel. And the cool thing about this former demoniac who was the first one that was sent is that he didn't have any rules given to him by Jesus to keep or communicate. He just didn't. He didn't have any rules given to him by Jesus to keep or communicate. Some of you now, your your, your performance-oriented perspective on life is being revealed because you don't like that. That just feels too messy to you. You wish that Jesus had handed him a script of the law, a copy of the commandments. He didn't give him any rules to keep or communicate. He just said, go and tell your people the great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And the religious say, but that's messy. That's too messy. He's going to do this and he's not going to do that and he's going to err here and he's going to make mistakes. That is a little bit messy. But let's realize this, and I want to say this not not to compromise, but that we might understand our context. Analysis shows that young Americans distrust things that seem too perfect. They expect that life is messy. They expect that there's going to be flaws, things that don't quite line up, paradox, Things that don't always make sense. They reject any attempt, and it's always an attempt because only God is perfect. They they reject any attempt to appear as though things are all right. 
They accept that life comes with its share of messiness. So then, if we as Christians are trying to present to our people a facade of perfection or anything close to that in order to get people to come to Jesus, we've totally missed the mark. We've, number one, failed to understand the gospel, and number two, failed to understand our culture. We've completely missed the mark by playing that Christian game. We don't get the gospel, and we don't get the context. What, what the church needs to be is humble, real, and transparent. A major perception by non-Christians is that Christians have an arrogant swagger about them. Because too many of us are moralists. We analyze everybody else according to how they are keeping or not keeping the rules. And we look down upon others who are performing poorly. So culture is observed, wow, Christians have this swagger about them. It's because we've miscommunicated, misunderstood the gospel. We say Christianity is about rules and regulations. What we need to be is humble, real, and transparent. To be humble, to be real, to be transparent, to be authentic is to be true to the gospel. The gospel says that we're only complete in Jesus. We're only made perfect in him. Transparency then is the anecdote to hypocrisy. Transparency and humility are the antidotes to hypocrisy. And transparency is simply admitting our inconsistencies. I'm inconsistent. Are you? It's admitting our inconsistencies. What's important is that transparency is required for integrity. If we're going to have integrity before the world as the church of Jesus Christ, we must have transparency. Transparency is necessary for integrity because we have these glaring inconsistencies. And when we try to hide them, we're like little kids trying to tell a silly lie. Those of you that have kids, you know, have you ever had a kid like they're eating they got chocolate all around their mouth and they've got it, their hand behind their back and they're like, I didn't eat any chocolate. <laughs> You're like, wow, how stupid do you think I am? <laughs> there we are with the chocolate on our mouth and our hand behind the back saying to the world, they're not stupid. God's creation like you and I. Transparency is required for Integrity. And interestingly, transparency has become a cultural expectation. We live in a culture that now expects people to be transparent and real about their inconsistencies. Toyota had a rough year. They had that recall. They had to recall 8 million vehicles. Gas pedal problem. No big deal. You're right. Eight million vehicles, cost them over $2 billion. They were fined $16 million by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Lost $155 million in sales a week and had 50,000 vehicles go unsold. Big blunder. 
Watch what Toyota did. Watch this. For over 50 years, providing you with safe, reliable, high-quality vehicles has been our first priority. In recent days, our company hasn't been living up to the standards that you've come to expect from us, or that we expect from ourselves. That's why 172,000 Toyota and dealership employees are dedicated to making things right. We have a fix for our recalls. We stopped production so we could focus on our customers' cars first. And technicians are making repairs. We're working around the clock to ensure we build vehicles of the highest quality. To restore your faith in our company. For more information, visit toyota.com. Okay, a little free advertising for Toyota at Reality. <laughs> I don't drive one. To restore your faith in our company. Listen to what they said, quote, in recent days, our company hasn't been living up to the standards you expect from us or that we expect from ourselves. Duh. Everybody knew that. The gas pedal doesn't work. <laughs> Everyone's getting that, but what Toyota did was be transparent about that failure. Now, don't misunderstand me. This was pure marketing on the part of Toyota. This was pure marketing. I don't see this as authentic humility and transparency. But here's the very point. Marketing is always aimed at addressing what people want. And a company like Toyota spends millions and millions and millions of dollars to figure out what people want. And what people want is transparency, humility, and authenticity. And the corporate boardroom is getting what the Christian church is missing. We're behind the curve on this thing. I'm not saying that we need to market transparency like Toyota. Then we'd be fakers in another way. I am saying that it doesn't even make sense to keep pretending like we're doing better than we are. The Bible says that we are in process. Why not admit that we are in process? Yes, we ought to be doing better. We ought to be more sanctified. We ought to be more holy. No question about that. That's a different sermon series. But as long as we aren't, and if we're talking about mission, it would behoove us to just be real with our people. Stop trying to act like we are great and we're doing great and just tell them about the great things God has done for us and how he had mercy on us. If we're going to say that, that mercy was given to us, it means that we're, we're confessing that we perform poorly. We need a mercy. If we're going to talk about mercy, we, we need to be honest about our condition. And apparently this works. 
I mean, it was Jesus' idea, so I'm thinking it would. But in Mark chapter 6, Jesus shows up in the same region. And remember in our text, they told him to go away. Well, when he shows up now in the same region, everybody knew who he was, it says. He had never been there except for this momentary brief interaction with the demoniac. Now he shows up and everyone goes, Jesus, we know about you. And in Mark 6 and 7, they bring everybody they can find to Jesus to heal. Community transformation, paradigm shift. Change of mind about the person of Jesus from go away, we don't want you here, to hey, we know you, come here. All of that because one man went home to his people and reported the great things that God had done for him and how God had had mercy on him. I'm imagining then that his transformation was real and authentic, but I'm imagining this also, and listen very carefully, here's where we end. I'm imagining that this man had a witness of joy. More Christians need more joy. I mean, he had a legion of demons. A legion in Roman military terms is 6,826. He had a legion of demons, and now... He's made brand new clothes and in his right mind. I'm imagining the guy was stoked. <laughs> I'm imagining that he had among his people a witness of joy. He wasn't going to them as a good man. He was going to them as a new man. And that's worth being excited about. I mean, I just think that Christians ought to be more stoked. I was in Chicago last week meeting with some pastors and other people and got invited to go to a Cubs game. I was a guest of somebody else. I'd never been to a baseball game in my entire life. We, uh, we went to some place called Wrigley Field. Apparently it's a big deal. It just seemed kind of old and outdated to me. Wrigley Field, we had something called a box above first base. I don't know what the big deal is. Nobody hardly ever gets to first base. I'm in this box, and I am bored out of my mind. What is this game? Almost nothing happens. If you took everything that happened and condensed into two minutes, I'd be like, this is awesome. <laughs> but hours of that? I am sorry, America, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I sat through the whole thing, there in that box, above first base, just hoping that someone would get there. <laughs> Bored out of my mind. Stay for the whole thing. It ends and we're leaving. We're walking out of the Wrigley Field, me and a group of pastors. And the people in the stadium are singing the song about the cops and their great victory. And they're singing it like this. And they're just radical about it, just singing, oh, the cops, 
thousands of them in unison, singing and singing and singing. And one of the pastors turns, one of the pastors turns to me and says, "These people are more excited about the Cubs than Christians are about the resurrection of Jesus Christ." I just, wow, we're busted. Not even Hillsong competes with Wrigley Stadium. <laughs> These people were insane for the Cubs. And, and they went to their people and reported. You could hear them walking out in the streets. Look at And people are honking. They won! Oh my gosh! Ah! And the report went all throughout Chicago. And the next day, it was just the Cubs. I just think that we should be more excited about Jesus than people are about baseball. I'm, I'm just guessing that this man had a witness of joy. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Listen to me, guys. Everybody is an evangelist for something. Everybody is evangelizing for something and what you're evangelizing for is what you're most excited about. If I go to your Facebook page, if I read your Twitters, your MySpace, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out what you're an evangelist for. Whatever you're most excited about in life, you're evangelizing for that thing. Gosh, it ought to be Jesus. Our lives are communicating something to our people about who Christ is. Lord, help us to do it well. Holy Spirit, that you would engage us more deeply today in that process of remaking us in the image of God, conforming us to the image of Christ. And the Holy Spirit, you would come and simply do a work of grace in our hearts where we be revived for who Jesus is, that we be captivated, charmed, and entranced with him. We would be once again enamored with the gospel. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. Where we're aware of our lack of holiness and sanctity in the practical realm, we know that we're positionally holy. We just ask that practically you would help us, Lord. Fresh transformation in our lives. And thank you that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So even when we're blowing it, we ask that there would be a deep, beautiful joy that comes forth from us that tells the world about who you are. Jesus said that the Father is seeking after worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. Maybe you feel far from God today. Come and get on your face, kneel. The best that you know how, come and worship God. And Jesus said he'll come and find you. Let's pursue after this Jesus. Let's work on transformation. Prayer team is up here to your right and to your left. Same with the Ventura campus. Let's pursue transformation. Let's lay hands on each other and pray for each other. This process of renewal will be made manifest in us for the glory of God.